Chapter Twenty of the Four Pools Mystery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Four Pools Mystery by Jean Webster. Chapter Twenty. Polly makes a confession. At breakfast, Terry drank two cups of coffee and subsided into thought. I could get no more from him on the subject of the bonds. He was not sure himself was all the satisfaction he would give. When the meal was half over, to Solomon's dismay, he suddenly rose without noticing a new dish of chicken livers that had just appeared at his elbow. Come on, he said impatiently. You've had enough to eat. I've got to see those marks while they're still there. I'm desperately afraid an earthquake will swallow that cave before I get a chance at them. Fifteen minutes later, we were bowling down the lane behind the fastest pair of horses in the Gaylord stables and through the prettiest country in the state of Virginia. Terry sat with his hands in his pockets and his eyes on the dashboard. As we came to the four corners at the Valley Pike, I reined in. Would you rather go the short way over the mountains by a very rough road, or the long way through Kennisburg? I inquired. What's that? he asked. Oh, the short way, by all means. But first I want to call at the Mathers. It would be simply but a waste of time. It won't take long, and since Radnor won't talk, I've got to get at the facts from the other end. Besides, I want to see Polly myself. Miss Mathers knows nothing about the matter, said I as stiffly as possible. Doesn't she? said Terry. She knows a good many things, and it's about time she told them. At any rate, you must admit that she's the owner of the unfortunate coat that caused the trouble. I want to ask her some questions about that. Why can't girls learn to carry their own coats? It would save a lot of trouble. It ended by my driving, with a very bad grace, to Mather's Hall. You wait here until I come out, said Terry coolly, as I drew up by the stepping stone and commenced fumbling for a hitching strap. Not much, said I. If you interview Polly Mathers, I shall be present at the interview. Oh, very well, he returned resignedly. If you'll let me go about it my own way, though, I'd get twice as much out of her. The family were at breakfast. The servant informed me. I left Terry in the parlour while I went on to the dining room to explain the object of our visit. There is a friend of mine here from New York to help us about the trial. I thought it best to suppress his real profession, and he wants to interview Miss Polly in regard to the coat. I am very sorry. Certainly, said Mrs. Mathers. Polly is only too glad to help in any way possible. And to my chagrin, Polly excused herself and withdrew to the parlour, while her father kept me listening to a new and not very valuable theory of his in regard to the disappearance of Mose. It was fifteen minutes before I made my escape and knocked on the parlour door. I turned the knob and went in without waiting for a summons. 
The Mathers parlour is a long, cool, dim room with old-fashioned mahogany furniture and jars of roses scattered about. It was so dark after the bright sunshine of the rest of the house that for a moment I didn't discover the occupants until the sound of Polly's sobbing proclaimed their whereabouts. I was somewhat taken aback to find her sitting in a corner of the big horsehair sofa, her head buried in the cushions, while Terry, nonchalantly leaning back in his chair, regarded her with much the expression that he might have worn at a first night at the theatre. It might also be noted that Polly wore a white dress with a big bunch of roses in her belt, that her hair was becomingly rumpled by the cushion, and that she was not crying hard enough to make her eyes red. "'Hello, old man,' said Terry, and I fancied that his tone was not entirely cordial. "'Just sit down and listen to this. We've been having some interesting disclosures.' Polly raised her head and cast him a reproachful glance, while, with a limp wave of the hand, she indicated a chair. I settled myself and inquired reassuringly, "'Well, Polly, what's the trouble?' "'You tell him,' said Polly to Terry, as she settled herself to cry again. "'I'll tell you,' said Terry, glancing warily at me. "'But it's a secret, remember. You mustn't let any of those horrid newspaper men get hold of it. Miss Mathers would hate awfully to have anything like this get into the papers.' "'Oh, go on, Terry,' said I crossly. "'If you've got anything to tell, for heaven's sake, tell it.' "'Well, as far as we'd got when you interrupted, "'was that that afternoon in the cave she and Radnor had somehow "'got separated from the rest of the party and gone on ahead. "'They sat down to wait for the others on the fallen column, "'and while they were waiting Radnor asked her to marry him for the seventh, or was it the eighth time? The seventh, I think, said Polly. It's happened so often that she sort of lost track. But anyway, she replied by asking him if he knew the truth about the ghost. He said yes, he did, but he couldn't tell her. It was somebody else's secret. On his word of honour, though, there was nothing that he was to blame for. She said she wouldn't marry a man who had secrets. He said that unless she took him now, she would never have the chance again. It was the last time he was going to ask her. Is that straight, Miss Mathers? Y yes sobbed Polly from the depths of her cushion. Terry proceeded with a fast-broadening smile. It was evident that he enjoyed the recital and then being naturally angry that any man could presume to propose for the last time, she proceeded to be perfectly horrid to him. Go on, Miss Mathers, that's as far as you'd got. I, I told him, you won't tell anyone. No. I told him I'd decided to marry Jim Mattison. Ah, said Terry, now we're getting at it. If you don't mind my asking, Miss Mathers, was that just a bluff? on your part, or had Mr. Madison really asked you? Polly sat up and eyed him with a sparkle of resentment. Certainly he'd asked me a dozen times. I beg pardon, murmured Terry, 
So now you're engaged to Mr. Madison? Oh, no, cried Polly. Jim doesn't know I said it. I didn't mean it. I just wanted to make Radnor mad. I see. So it was a bluff, after all. Were you successful in making him mad? She nodded dismally. What did he say? Oh, he was awfully angry. He said that if he never amounted to anything, it would be my fault. And then what? We heard the others coming, and he started off. I called after him and asked him where he was going, and he said he was going to the d devil. Polly began to cry again, and Terry chuckled slightly, as a good many other young men have said under similar circumstances. But where did he go was to the hotel, and there, it appears, he drank two glasses of brandy and swore at the stable boy. Is that all, Miss Mathers? Yes, it's the last time I ever saw him, and he thinks I'm engaged to Jim Madison. See here, Polly, said I, with some excusable heat. Now, why in thunder didn't you tell me all this before? You didn't ask me. She was afraid that it would get into the papers, said Terry soothingly. It would be a terrible scandal to have anything like that get out. The fact that Radnor Gaylord was likely to be hanged for a murder he never committed was in comparison a minor affair. Polly turned upon him with a flash of grey eyes. I was going to tell him before the trial. I didn't know the inquest made any difference. I would have told the coroner the morning he came to take my testimony, only he brought Jim Madison with him as a witness, and I couldn't explain before Jim. That would have been awkward, Terry agreed. Polly, said I severely, this is inexcusable. If you had explained to me in the first place, the jury would never have remanded Radnor for trial. But I thought you would find the real murderer and then Radnor would be set free. It would be awful to tell that story before a whole room full of people and have Jim Madison hear it. I detest Jim Madison. Be careful what you say, said Terry. You may have to take Jim Madison after all. Radnor Gaylord will never ask you again. Then I'll ask him, said Polly. Terry laughed and rose. He's in a bad hole, Miss Mathers, but I'm not sure but that I envy him after all. Polly dimpled through her tears. This was the language she understood. Goodbye, she said. You'll remember your promise. Never a syllable will I breathe, said Terry, and he put a hand on my shoulder and marched me off. She's a fascinating young person, he observed, as we turned into the road. You are not the first to discover that, said I. I fancy I'm not, he retorted with a sideways glance at me. Terry gazed at the landscape a few moments with a pensive light in his eyes. Then he threw back his head and laughed. Thank heaven women don't go in for crime to any great extent. You're never safe in forming any theory about them. Their motives and their actions don't match. He paused to light a cigar and as soon as he got it well started, took up the conversation again. It's just as I suspected in regard to Rad, though I will say the papers furnished mighty few clues. It was the coat that put me on the track 
coupled with his behaviour at the hotel. You see, his emotions when he came out of that cave were mixed. There was probably a good deal of disappointment and grief down below his anger, but that for the moment was decidedly in the lead. He had been badly treated, and he knew it. What's more, he didn't care who else knew it. He was in a thoroughly vicious mood and ready to wreak his anger on the first thing that came to hand. That happened to be his horse. By the time he got home, he had expended the most of his temper and his disappointment had come to the top. You found him wrestling with that. By evening, he had brought his philosophy into play and had probably decided to brace up and try again. And that, he finished, is the whole story of our young gentleman's erratic behaviour. I wonder I didn't think of it myself, I said. Terry smiled and said nothing. Radnor is naturally not loquacious about the matter, he resumed presently. For one thing, because he does not wish to drag Polly's name into it. For another, I suppose he feels that if anyone is to do the explaining, she ought to be the one. He supposed that she would be present at the inquest, and that her testimony would bring out sufficient facts to clear him. When he found that she was not there, and that her testimony did not touch on any important phase of the matter, he simply shut his mouth and said, Very well. If she won't tell, I won't. Also, the coroner's manner was unfortunate. He showed that his sympathy was on the other side, and Radnor stubbornly determined not to say one word more than was dragged out of him by main force. It is much the attitude of the little boy who has been unfairly punished, and who derives an immense amount of satisfaction from the thought of how sorry his friends will be when he is dead. And now, I think we have Rad's case well in hand, in spite of the fact that he seems bound to be hung. We shall not have much difficulty in getting him off. But what I can't understand, I grumbled, is why that little wretch didn't tell me a word of all this. She came and informed me offhand that he was innocent and asked me to clear him, with never a hint that she could explain the most suspicious circumstance against him. You've got me, Terry laughed. I give up when it comes to finding out why women do things. If you had asked her, you know, she would have told you, but you never said a word about it. How could I ask her when I didn't know anything about it? I managed to ask her, said Terry, and what's more, he added gloomily, I promised it shouldn't go any further. That is, than is necessary to get Rad off. Now, don't you call that pretty tough luck, after coming way down here just to find out the truth, not to be allowed to print it when I've got it? How in the deuce am I to account for Rad's behaviour without mentioning her? You needn't have promised, I suggested. Oh, well, Terry grinned. I'm human. I let this pass, and he added hastily, We've disposed of Jeff, we've disposed of Radnor, but the real murderer is still to be found. And that, I declared, is Cat Eye Mose. It's possible, agreed Terry with a shrug.
but I have just the tiniest little entering wedge of a suspicion that the real murderer is not Cat Eye Mose. End of chapter 20